And for Yellow Fulvasinus, let's get Habakkuk. Brother Habakkuk, <clears throat> chapter 3. And as you're finding chapter 3, we're only going to cover verse 1 by God's grace this morning. I'd like to remind you of what we have been studying up until this point. Chapters 1 and 2 almost stand alone. It is a conversation close to an argument of sorts. Habakkuk has been asking the Lord, why are you allowing these sinful things to happen and seemingly you're ignoring them. They're, they're not being punished. So the first question was about God's own people. Why allow the Jews to do this? And God said, I'm, I have a plan. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans and I'm going to punish them. And that came with a follow-up question. Okay, you're going to use the Chaldeans, but they're even worse than we are. So God, how can it be right to use such horribly wicked people? And then chapter 2, God answers that question as well. And he says, I know all about them. I know what kind of people they are, and I am, in due time, going to punish them as well, and they are going to have an even greater destruction, a worse punishment than the Jews. So God is showing Habakkuk, I am very just, I am very fair, I am aware of all the injustice going on, and one day I will sort that. At the end part of chapter 2, you get from verse 6 all the way to the end, there are five woes that God points out against the Chaldean or Babylonian people. Let me just remind you of what they are. The first woe had to do with greed and covetousness. Now, as I go through these five woes, just kind of think in your mind, 2021, pick a country, any country, right? Kind of like holding up the card, pick a country, any country. They're almost all filled with this. Even shrink it down to our own community, you're going to find these evils happening. Greed and covetousness abounding, almost promoted. Right? You can go to pretty much any university and greed and covetousness is almost like a, a, a good thing. They promote it. Get this job so that you can get all you want. Number two, arrogance, pride, and if I can maybe explain that a little, take no shame. Chaldeans wanted to elevate themselves on high so that nobody could touch them. Nobody could even make an accusation against them. They wanted to take no shame. Number three, vanity. Everything that they were doing, yes, it looked good in the moment, but it will eventually come to nothing. It was a waste of their time and effort. And unfortunately, that explains a lot of people's lives. Success can be your failure. You can build the big walls and have the golden kingdom not realizing that it's just a it's a fantasy in your own mind. It's an illusion. It's a mirage. Number four, lust. We talked about drunkenness and nakedness and how they fulfilled every appetite of their flesh and thought, no big deal. And then number five, idolatry. They would build themselves, carve themselves their own gods. But what this is in essence, this is idolatry all over the world, is like this. You get to be your own final authority. If you think about it, that's what idolatry is. You get to call the shots. Now you take your own mind and opinions and standards and attribute them to whatever deity you believe is there. That is basically you in a carved form. So greed, arrogance, vanity, lust, and idolatry. God said, I take these things very seriously. And even though in the moment they're getting away with it, they won't forever. Now justice, right? This word justice. 
it really doesn't hit home until we experience injustice in our own lives. When you have been cheated in a business deal or somebody has flat out lied to you, whether it's professionally, personally, right, in business or wherever it is, if you have been cheated, then you greatly demand justice. And it hurts. It's frustrating. It's hard to sleep at night knowing that somebody out there cheated you and they have seemingly gotten away with it. And that's why throughout the Bible, you're going to find so many passages, chapters even devoted to God explaining, I am going to bring justice. Now, here's the key. God never says you need to avenge yourselves. Matter of fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite. Avenge not yourselves. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So what do we do? We love our enemies. We pray for them that despitefully use us. We bless them that persecute us, right? That's our calling. We leave the final punishment, judgment, and justice. That's God's part. How do we handle it? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. How so? That'll get his attention. Your fiery words won't get the job done, but your passionate kindness and love towards him, that'll get his attention. And if that still doesn't open his eyes and turn him, get him to repent, God will ultimately bring about that justice. Now, for the sake of time, I have a lot of other things I'd like to show you this morning. If you're taking notes, Psalm 107, verse 40 to 43. Psalm 113, at the end of it, the last four verses. Revelation chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to turn to that one. You can hold Habakkuk, get Revelation chapter 18. Guys, I'm giving you three places. You could honestly, have you ever played Bible roulette? Do you know what that looks like? Everybody knows Russian roulette. Right? Shame. We know the Russian version, not the Bible version. But <laughs> Russian roulette, you spin the wheel and pull the trigger. And hey, if there's a bullet in the chamber, it is either your lucky or your bad day, one or the other. Right? Spin the wheel and boom, there it stops. Bible roulette is where you just flip the pages, boom, put your finger down, there you go. You, nine times out of ten, you could do that and your finger will be on a, on a verse that talks about justice. It is that big of a deal. Now, just look around. The world sometimes feels like an insane asylum run by the inmates, <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense. Listen, go on YouTube, find any video where Joe Biden is speaking, run by the inmates. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that man makes no sense. I don't understand what he's saying on so many levels. It's frustrating because you look around and you go, come on world, don't we know better than this? And it's not just one issue. It's not just COVID. It's not just gender politics. It, all of these issues, you'd look at it and go, come on, we know better than this. Why are we fussing and fighting over these things? It's so clear. And then there's something deep within the heart of man that says, God, just come and put an end to all the nonsense. Jesus, please come back today. Sit on the throne of your father, David. Let all the nations of the earth flow to Jerusalem and hear the law of the Lord. And finally, the knowledge of, of the glory of God will fill the earth as, as the waters cover the sea. We need that. God, straighten out the mess. We need that reminder within this crazy world. We need a reminder that God is aware of the nonsense and will do something about it. All right now, just quickly, Revelation 18 Let's read a few verses. Get verse 1. Guys, the, the 
fulfillment of what we read in the book of Revelation may not be too far from now. Amen. The world is shaping up where these things could easily come to pass soon. Verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Might I remind you in the book of Habakkuk, the people that have woe, 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 is Babylon. So what happens with Babylon of the past, there is a revived version of Babylon in the future. So the same wickedness we're studying in Habakkuk is exactly what the world is pressing towards in the future. The thing that has been is the thing which shall be. There's no new thing under the sun. The Bible, as I've told you before, is not a straight line. It's a circle. And as you read the history of the Old Testament, you're reading tomorrow's newspaper. And then you wonder why it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, once in the past and again in the future. Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Verse 3, for all nations, there's the whole world, all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So one of the earmarks of the end times, there's a one world government that's going to be set up. We are rapidly heading towards that, rapidly. Because we have one disease, so they say, that is bothering every. We have one common, we all got to overcome this. Let's all get together. It's, it's coming. They have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So here, take, take this stupefier. Take this intoxicant so that you can't think clearly. Just believe what I'm saying. One of the earmarks of the end times, not only church, but government, is agreeableness. If you disagree, you will be punished. Take the cup or incarcerated. Take the cup. You can't buy us. Take the cup. It, we're pressing towards that. All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. So the, the mixture of religion and politics. And the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So here's the financial world also coming in. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. What's he saying? I have not forgotten about it. The things that they're doing on earth, these horrible policies they're putting in place. And guys, the book of Revelation does not speak of COVID. Okay? I, I, I'm just saying that the world is shaping up for that. I think COVID's maybe prepping the world, preparing the way. But one day soon, right, the world just wicked overtakes, wickedness overtakes it. God has not forgotten. It's reaching unto heaven, for God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, re reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. And the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Do, do you see th this in Habakkuk? I'll elevate myself, put myself up high so nobody can attack me. I'll take no shame, arrogance, pride. The same mistakes of the past. You either learn from history or you repeat it. One or the other. Verse 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. There's this overwhelming emphasis on justice. I haven't forgotten. 
I know what she's done. I know what she's done to you. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. The word hallelujah means praise ye the Lord or praise, praise Jehovah. Hallelujah. Uh, by the way, that's what you're going to say. In chapter 19, we are up in heaven. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. You see the justice here. For he hath judged the great whore, that's Babylon, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood, there's the avenging, not Iron Man or Hulk, (laughs) you know, Captain America, he's not the first avenger. Here you go. I don't want to get off on my movie stuff, but he had, (laughs) Moses was the first avenger, but that's another story. He hath judged, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! You see this overwhelming theme. These folks up in heaven are looking down on the earth, and finally the wicked who had their chance to repent over and over and over again God says, okay, the time for mercy is past. Now it's the time for justice. And we in heaven rejoice at that. Why? Because they're being punished? No, we, we don't want that. We want to see them turn. We want to see them repent. and avo- We want to see them come out and avoid these plagues. But listen, at some point God has to put His foot down and say, enough's enough. I'm a righteous, holy, upright God. And I'm not going to let this go on forever. Now listen, what he's doing with the world at large is also true in your personal life. God is very patient. His long-suffering cannot be measured. But eventually, God says, enough's enough. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, you never reap when you sow. You always reap after you sow. And who knows how long it takes for that fruit to come up. But eventually, God does put his foot down. All right, let's come back to Habakkuk now. That's the, that's the recap on chapters 1 and 2. So now we turn our attention to chapter 3. <clears throat> Habakkuk has now been answered. He is satisfied with the answer. God says, I will take care of it in due time. So now Habakkuk is going to pray in accordance with that answer. Chapter 3 and verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth. We're going to talk momentarily about Shigianoth, but let's mention one thing real quick. A prayer. This is a very practical note, very small, small observation. A prayer, not the prayer. You understand the difference in the articles there. The prayer means this is it. For Habakkuk, this is a prayer of many. I hope that's true of your life. I hope you don't look back in your life and go, remember that time I prayed? That was the prayer. (laughs) This is just a prayer, one of many, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. Now we're going to talk more about prayer in just a moment. Let's talk about Shigianoth for a moment. Uh, Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 7, hold Habakkuk 3, Psalm chapter 7. The word Shigianoth is a bit of a mystery. Its, um, its proper translation has eluded or eluded many people, Hebrew scholars included. 
By no means am I a Hebrew scholar, so I'm just going to give you my very limited knowledge on it. Psalm 7. Now, I would say turn to verse 1, but I'm actually going to turn you up to the, the uh, let's say, prescript right above verse 1. I don't know, maybe this is a bit far for you to see it, but just above verse 1, I have some words in italics in my Bible. It's a heading to the chapter. How many of you have that heading? Okay, most of you do. Some Bibles don't, but most editions of the Bible do. If you look at the Hebrew manuscripts or the, even the Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament, you'll often find this heading in part of the older manuscripts that we have access to. And it is not one of the verses, right? That's why you don't see a verse number to it. It is just some information, like an introduction to the chapter. <clears throat> so in that introduction, you see it says, Shigion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now, these are very helpful, actually. It often tells you at what point in David's life he wrote this psalm. And then what you can do is go back to that chapter, the corresponding chapter in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel, and, and you can say, okay, he was running from Saul or with Cush or whatever it was, and it helps you make sense of what you're reading in that psalm. So it's a very handy little uh, heading to have. Now, Shigion, the way it's worded, Shigion of David, which he sang. All right, so I think at least we could say a Shigion is some sort of music. Right? It is some sort of song. Now, some people say the word Shigion, this is the singular, Shigion. The plural is Shigionoth, what we have in Habakkuk. Those are the only two times in Scripture we have those Hebrew words. That's it. So we don't have a lot to work with here. So the way this is worded, it makes it look like it's a song. Some people say this is a meditation. So David was thinking through this particular problem or incident in his life, and now he is going to sing what he had been thinking about. Well, then that makes it a song, doesn't it? So I think the two go together. Now, just go back and forth here in Habakkuk 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. Well, some have suggested maybe Shigianoth is a musical instrument. Right? Now, if that's the case, Habakkuk has taken this prayer, written it out as lyrics, and now he has people that are going to play the Shigianoths, plural, or Shigianoth, the plural, and they are going to sing to that musical instrument. Well, of course, music often goes with an instrument, so maybe Shigion and Shigianoth go together in that way. Could it be, though, that the meditation, singular, of David is something he eventually sang to the Lord. This is often where songs come from, right? It's something that is, some event has deeply moved us. We've thought long and hard about it. And when you meditate deeply on something, think deeply on it, you have a chance to order your words properly and, and put them in a way that sounds very proper and perfect. So a lot of these songs, even today, the ones that we sing, it is the product of meditation, of thinking long and hard on something. So I'm, it's not a long stretch to think that the meditation of David becomes a song. I think we could read it like that here in Habakkuk 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigianoth, upon his meditations. He has been thinking about chapters 1 and 2 for a long time. He's been praying about it. Now he's got answers. So this is Habakkuk's prayer upon his meditations plural. It could be something like that, but I'm pointing this out to you not to say that I've got it figured out, but to say there's all the information I have. 
I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you with a couple of question marks. It could be a music and lyrics kind of thing, right? It could be that. Or it could just be that his meditation is now being put in song form. So you can leave Psalm 7. We're not going to cover that particular psalm today. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 in Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth. Now, as I said, the word, if you translate it, maybe means meditation. That's the best guess from some people. Turn your Bible to uh, Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. And Exodus chapter 30. So the word Shigianoth or Shigion didn't get translated in those two verses. This is what we call transliterating. Transliterating. And the reason we do that is if the word in one language does not have an equivalent in another language, then what often happens is you take those, the phonetics, the way that word sounds, and you use the alphabet of the new language and just spell it out. Okay? So in, in Afrikaans, you say lekker. Lekker. Now the way it's often pronounced, lekker. Lekka. Now, we have an English equivalent of that. It depends on the context, but you could say fine, right? It's just lekka. It's fine. All right, so you could tra- if you translated Afrikaans to English, you could just say, ekas lekka, ekas, I-, I am fine, right? That, w- would that be okay? I don't mean to offend. I see some of you getting a little touchy. I know I'm not an Afrikaans expert. I'm just trying my best. I'm trying a word that we all know, lekka, right? Now, if you wanted to transliterate it, it could be L-E-K-A, lekka. I know that's not right. I'm just saying phonetically, right? You could spell it out. But we don't need to transliterate that. It has an English equivalent. But if you just said lekka, 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 some do. <laughs> all the time, lekka, lekka, lekka. All tight, all this is lekka, lekka, lekka. And people heard that and go, we don't know what that means in our language. We don't have an equivalent. So they would borrow your word and just take their letters and spell it out in L-E-K-A, it's now lekka. And then that sound... The sound, the pronunciation of that word would eventually take on meaning in that new language. See? So that's, that's how a lot of languages develop. That's how the English language, by and large, developed. It borrowed words from Greek and Latin and Hebrew and other languages and kind of built its own language. Now, not, not many, but you do find a handful of words in the English Bible that don't have the equivalent, right? When coming from Hebrew and Greek, there wasn't an equivalent. So they read it in Hebrew and they go, we don't know what that is. Some of these things had maybe, uh, you know, it was localized. It was something you found in the wilderness or in the land of Israel. But in other places, they didn't have this thing. So look at Exodus chapter 30 and I'll show you one example of it. Verse 34. Right, Exodus 30, verse 34. This is a passage about the um, incense that the priest had to put together using the art of the apothecary. And then they would burn the incense before the Lord. In verse 34, the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacta and onica uh, and galbanum. Galbanum. The Hebrew word for that is galbanum. <laughs> that is the, it's, it's just been transliterated. When the translators got to that word, they said, what is galbanum? They said, we have no idea. So galbanum, they just wrote it out in English 
And there it is. Say, Brother Mike, what's galbanum? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's galbanum. That's all that I know. Uh, look at Job chapter 40. I, I know it's a spice. <laughs> Does that help? <laughs> I think you knew that as well just by reading the verse. So, Job chapter 40. Now see, by reading the context, you can narrow it down and get a general idea for what these things are. But it's not always easy. Job chapter 40, verse 15. This is God speaking to Job. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox, lo now, and goes on to describe this behemoth. What is a behemoth? Well, in Hebrew, the word is behemoth. No one knew what it was. There's a, maybe it had gone extinct. That's a possibility. Maybe it's still around and people just don't know what they're looking at. Maybe, but when you read the description, you know, some people say, oh, no, no, that's a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus. Some new Bibles, you know, they translate it as alligator, crocodile, hippo, rhino, something like the elephant. When you read the description, you're not talking about a hippo or an elephant. I mean, verse 23, behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He drinketh up a river? A hippo? A crocodile? I mean, he takes a sip, but come on. He's not going to be drinking that thing up. Uh, where's another one here? Yeah, verse 17. He moveth his tail like a cedar. So his tail like a tree. That sounds an awful lot like a dinosaur to me. Really does. And I know this. He was made on the sixth day. Verse, uh, was it 15, 16? No, uh, 15. Which I made with thee. So mankind was made on day six. Whatever this animal is, day six. So it didn't come out of the water. That's day five. This is day six. He's a land. It sounds like a dinosaur to me. Now there, that's all I know about it. <laughs> Everything you read in the passage, that's what I know about behemoth. They didn't know what it was, so they transliterated. Now, nothing wrong with that. If you don't have the equivalent in that other language, you can transliterate and then say, I don't know. That's, that's all I know about this word. Now, there are other words that often get used within our conversations that don't need to be transliterated, yet they, they get this treatment. Things like Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeshua, that's the Hebrew. Yehoshua or Yeshua, that's the Hebrew for Joshua. Now, when you translate that word from Hebrew into Greek, it is Yesus. Yesus. Right? I, I'm not going to spell it out, but Yesus. When you, tra- when you go from Greek to Latin, it got transliterated, and it's the same pronunciation, Jesus, or Isus even. You can, I guess, say it like that. And then it was transliterated from Latin to English, Jesus, because our J, we have the hard J, J, but in, like with your language, Afrikaans, Y, so Jesus is how, it just got transliterated, but it, it's the same meaning as it goes. Now, to say Yeshua, is that, was that Jesus' Hebrew name? Yes. So that's legitimate, but if we have the English or Afrikaans or whatever language equivalent, it's perfectly legitimate to use the equivalent in that mother tongue, right? In, in your home language. You don't need to borrow from the original language if you have the equivalent in your language. Another word like Shabbat. Shabbat, that's the Hebrew for Sabbath, but we have the equivalent in English. So as you're speaking English, you're more than welcome to say Sabbath, you are not taking away from the original meaning of that day or of that person, like saying Jesus instead of Yeshua. You get no brownie points for using the original language. 
It, it means no more. Now, you say, why bring that up? Because I fear that some people think if I say Yeshua instead of Jesus, that brings me closer to Jesus. And, and although I appreciate the intentions of your heart of trying to show Him honor, I think it comes from a good place when people do this. Please understand that it, there's nothing biblically that would indicate this shows Him greater honor because you pronounced it right. Because even Jesus, when you get to the book of Revelation, He said, I am Alpha and Omega. He used Greek. He used Greek. When He was dying on the cross, you know what they wrote above Him? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That was the inscription above His head. Did you know they wrote it in three languages? Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And it meant just the same in every language. And by the way, those three languages represent all the people groups of the world. You have Shem, Ham, and Japheth represented above His head. Everybody needs to know who this is, not how to pronounce His name. That's not the key thing. Whether you say Sabbath or Shabbat, it's still the seventh day of the week, right? It, it's not going to change the meaning of that day. Did you know that there is a chapter in the Bible dedicated to this subject? Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians 14, so many people read that chapter, and all they can think of is what goes on in a lot of, let's say, more charismatic or Pentecostal churches about speaking in tongues, What's actually happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is people in the Corinthian church knew a number of different languages. They would stand up and use these other languages in an attempt to make people think they were more spiritual because they could say things in other languages. Do you see the correlation here? Ah, but I can say it in the original Hebrew. That doesn't make it more spiritual. Paul said that the purpose of standing up and speaking or talking about the Lord to someone else is to edify them, not to show them, ah, you see, I know the original language of that word. So please, uh, uh, take my words as I mean them this morning. I, I'm not trying to judge the intentions of somebody's heart here. I, I get it, the people that often use these terms, they mean well. But I think in the long run, it's not going to get them any closer or, or farther away, for that matter, from God simply by using a different pronunciation. All right, let's come back to Habakkuk chapter 3 again. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth. Since we don't know what that word is in our language, we use Shigianoth, the transliteration. But moving beyond that, Let's talk about something more practical. We have been invited by Habakkuk into his prayer closet. He is going to share with us one of his prayers. Wouldn't that be something this morning if the prophet Habakkuk walked in and say, listen guys, I need to have some time of prayer. Would anybody like to join me? I, I would immediately take the microphone <laughs> off and invite you as well. Let's come listen. I want to hear this man pray. I honestly would not feel fit to pray out loud in his presence. Say, Brother Mike, shouldn't have any shame. You know, you're just talking to God. Yeah, but I'm still human. <laughs> and I want to learn something. This man obviously has a close, close walk with God. Guys, praying alongside godly, dedicated, well-experienced people. That is a great way to learn how to pray. Take advantage of those precious opportunities. Might I go as far as to say this? Make those opportunities. Find somebody you believe knows how to talk to God, knows how to hear from God. 
somebody that knows how to get into the presence of God and say, let me, please let me just be in the room while you do it. I want to be there. I want to feel what it feels like when God's presence steps in. I can very clearly remember the first few times I prayed with my pastor and God showed up. My goodness, the hours passed. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to move. I didn't know, I didn't know that a human could have that experience. And I'm not talking about something strange and, and uh, spooky and, you know, the, the walls shaking and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, you know, it wasn't a seance. I'm talking about something real. Something that you read about in the Bible and think that'll never happen to me, and then it does. But this is what we have. We have a bit of this in, in chapter 3 where he's saying, this is me praying. Now, put yourself in the room with him as he prays this. You know, there's a story in the book of Acts in chapter 9 where the apostle Paul, he's being, his life is threatened, and they're trying to let him down over a wall in a basket. Remember that? Yeah. And the, the people on the other side of the wall, they have to be holding the ropes while Paul is lowered in that basket. You know what I've heard a lot of times when it comes to prayer? Pastor, I'm praying, but I feel like I'm hitting a wall. I, I, I'm, I just Every time I talk, it seems like there's something between me and God and my prayer is not going anywhere. I just hit that wall. Then you might need to get some people together with you to hold the ropes and hoist you up over that wall. And slowly, gently lower you down so that you can move on with your prayer life. We all need that kind of help. We all need help to get over that proverbial wall. Hold your Bible. Well, I guess you don't have to hold it, but you can come to Psalm 72. It's not just Habakkuk. And today we're not going to get into what Habakkuk prayed. We're going to save that for the next several weeks. But we're just talking about having a little bit of Habakkuk's prayer journal with us and it's not just Habakkuk Psalm 72 verse 20 last verse in that chapter Psalm 72 20 the prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended now we actually do have more uh, Psalms from David later on in the book the next Psalm as you can see you can see the prescript there it's a Psalm of Asaph his choir director wrote some of these Moses actually has a psalm or two in here. Other, other men contributed. The book of Psalms is actually a collection of five books. We know it as one book. There's five books. So some of your Bibles will actually have it divided, book one, two, three, four, and five. This is the division, I believe, after the end of book two. So David, when he writes his psalms, songs, that is, you know, the hymns, he collects them, he puts it into one book, and he says, now, this is my prayer journal slash songbook. So as you read these, you can not only sing them, but you are also invited to join David in his prayer closet. Say, when I pray, I don't know what to say. There's the script. There's the script. I, I don't know how to talk to God. Then watch how these men did it. What did they say? And that's the wonderful thing about having that little script at the top. You know, when I'm in trouble, when I'm running from this, when people are persecuting me, I had a bad day at work, it's all in there. This is what I can pray. Uh, come on over to Matthew chapter 6. Now the Jews would often, when they prayed, they would recite their prayers. They would go back to the book of Psalms or Habakkuk or Deuteronomy, Exodus, wherever they wanted to go, 
and they would recite these prayers. They would memorize, listen to this part, they'd have to memorize these verses. And then when they found themselves in problem A or situation B or scenario Y or Z, they would know, okay, that passage from Deuteronomy, this verse from Psalms, this is what I need to pray. And they would pray that to God. They would recite it. This is a wonderful way. You say, I struggle to memorize Scripture. Then find the verses that speak to the problems you're having, and I promise those verses will mean more to you, and then hide them deep in your heart and pray them. Now, now let me give some balance. Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now, myself, I grew up as a Roman Catholic, and I did not know any other way to pray except to recite prayers. Now, I must admit, after I got saved, I was learning so many new things. I had a lot of zeal, not a lot of wisdom. I thought anything I learned as a Catholic, <clears throat> sorry, anything I learned back then, just throw it out. So I figured it's wrong to repeat or recite a prayer. Why? Because that's what I did in my past. That's not a very logical reason. I'm just telling you my knee-jerk reaction in my head. Truth of the matter is, you are allowed to repeat or recite a prayer. Many churches do it. How many of you grew up in a church where you would hold hands and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name? Any of you do that growing up? I did it. You know where it comes from, verse 9, 10, 11, 12. That's where it comes from. Jesus said, when you pray, use not vain repetition." So he didn't say, don't repeat. He said, don't repeat in vain. So you can do this wrongly. You can abuse a recited prayer. Now, how would you do it? There's two ways you could do it wrongly. Number one, you don't know what the prayer means. You've memorized the verse because um, Tani, Pastor of the Dumini, whatever said, this prayer goes with this problem now just recite it whenever you're in trouble but you don't know what that means you don't know how it connects you don't know the story behind it our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name if you've never been born again how are you going to look up to God and say our father see th there has to be a, a proper understanding of what this prayer means to this given situation if you don't know what it means pr best not to recite it number two do not think that whatever you're reciting is a magic word or magic words, some magical incantation that if I repeat it enough, it'll come to pass. This idea of, well, I'll just speak life over it. Guys, that's an abuse. That's an abuse of some other promises in the Bible. There's much more to prayer than just, if I say these magic words, this is going to happen. You see this a lot. Maybe some of you have heard of the prayer of Jabez from First Chronicles. If I just pray this prayer, then prosperity will come and God will let... The prayers in the Bible are not magic words like that. Look at verse 7. They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So he says, don't use vain repetitions. The heathen, this is how they pray. They stand up and say, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us. And they do that for hours and think the more we say it, the more God hears it. That's not how it works. It has to be something coming from the heart. It has to be in line with the will of God. There has to be something genuine when we pray, right? We're supposed to do it in spirit and in truth. That's the worship that he deserves. So it's perfectly okay. I would recommend this, guys.
you've never tried this, please, I beg you, give this a shot. Get down to pray, open up the instruction manual, the guidebook, and say, okay, God, I know not how to pray as I ought. Romans 8. And God, I don't know if I'll ever figure all this stuff about prayer out, but these guys had it figured out. So, Lord, here we go. Open up your Bible. I would suggest the book of Psalms. And, and read a verse, pray a verse. Read a verse, pray a verse. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now stop for a minute. Say that to God. Don't just read it to yourself. Say it to God. And say, God, I need mercy. God, I need my transgressions to be blotted out. Now pray about that for a while. I don't know what to say. This will tell you what to say. Here's what you talk about. Here's what you talk about. God, let's talk about this for a bit. And once you've thoroughly exhausted that verse, number two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I'll talk about that for a while. There's something special about having your Bible open, down on your knees, in this position, humble humility. Here we go, God, just speak to me and I'll speak to you. People say, I struggle to hear God when I pray. Here's His words. Bring them with I guarantee he'll be speaking to you. And then you know exactly what to respond to. Give that a try. All right, let's all stand if you would, please. Father, we thank you for leaving behind this wonderful book that teaches us how to worship you, how to commune with you. Help us, Lord, to put this into practice now. Habakkuk has left behind this powerful prayer. In the days to come, we want to study it, Lord. But in the meantime... Teach us to pray. Hide these words in our hearts so that as life comes our way, we know what to say to you. God, help us to mean it. Bless the service to come, please. We desire to hear.